0: The Tom Woods Show, episode 2103. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here, The Tom Woods Show. Hey, everybody, I'm giving away three free courses from my liberty classroom. One of them is ex Marxist Michael Rechtenwald teaching you about critical theory so you can understand leftism and fight it better, as well as our course on How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America and the History of the Conservative and Libertarian Movements. Check it out at threefreecourses.com. Hello, everybody, Tom Woods here. we got kind of a relaxed episode for this Friday. Had a lot going on this week, now we're gonna relax. And I wanna walk through an article I like very much that just appeared just this week, a matter of a couple of days ago, Over at the Mises Institute blog. And it's an article by our old friend, Jeff Deist, who is president of the Mises Institute. And it's called The Wrong Elites. Well, that about sums it up, doesn't it? And Jeff begins with a passage that, as it turns out, is one of the most memorable passages for me from Rothbard. I just remember it striking me so much when I first read it. Rothbard has a piece called Egalitarianism and the Elites the passage in question runs as follows. To mount an effective response to the reigning egalitarianism of our age, it is necessary but scarcely sufficient to demonstrate the absurdity, the anti-scientific nature, the self-contradictory nature of the egalitarian doctrine, as well as the disastrous consequences of the egalitarian program. All this is well and good, but it misses the essential nature of, as well as the most effective rebuttal to, the egalitarian program, to expose it as a mask for the drive to power of the now ruling left liberal intellectual and media elites. Since these elites are also the hitherto unchallenged opinion-molding class in society, their rule cannot be dislodged until the oppressed public, instinctively but inchoately opposed to these elites, are shown the true nature of the increasingly hated forces who are ruling over them. To use the phrases of the New Left of the late 1960s, the ruling elite must be demystified, delegitimated, and desanctified. Nothing can advance their desanctification more than the public realization of the true nature of their egalitarian slogans. Wow. Now that is a passage that you could have a whole book club discussion about. That is so rich. In fact, I almost don't need to go into Jeff's article, except I promised that I would. And by the way, of course, as always in an episode like this, the article in question will be linked on the show notes page, which is tomwoods.com slash 2103. The key part of this passage to me is that the egalitarian program is a mask for the drive to power of the current left liberal intellectual and media elites. That is the key thing is that don't look at what they say, look at what they do. Look at what their motivations are. Their motivations are not to make life better for the oppressed and the downtrodden. Okay, you can pretty much take that to the bank. Elites like these love egalitarianism because it's a falsehood and because the idea of equality can never actually be attained. So even let's say your goal was economic egalitarianism. Okay, let's say you had a radical economic egalitarian goal and you wanted to make everybody materially equal. Now, most of them don't take that position, but with a word like egalitarian or equality, who knows where it's supposed to go? Any, Any stoppage prior to reaching absolute egalitarian outcomes is just arbitrary. If you say you want equality, what does it mean to say, I want equality, but it's okay if we have this much inequality? there's no logical stopping point before you get to absolute material equality. So let's consider that. Suppose we reach that point or let's, how about this? At the very least, how about we reach a point where the quote unquote distribution of wealth satisfies the people calling for equality? Okay, so somehow we've gotten to that point that they're somehow content. Now this never happens with the left. They'll never be content. There's no pattern of society that would make them content. They always have a lack of contentedness. They always have to push forward to the next thing and the next thing, and the next thing. But let's say that at least materially, we got to a point where the existing pattern of wealth holdings was considered acceptable to them. Okay, well, now we think about Robert Nozick, who wrote Anarchy, State, and Utopia. Robert Nozick gives this example. He says, suppose Wilt Chamberlain is playing basketball and a lot of people want to go see him. Well, each person let's say, pays, I think he gave the example, I think he said 25 cents. So because this is an old book. That's an old book. So we'll say a dollar, round it up at least. Everybody pays a dollar to go see Wilt Chamberlain. Now, I've got, obviously it's way, way more than a dollar. That's not the point. Point is, everybody is out a little bit of dough, but suddenly Wilt Chamberlain has way, way, way more than everybody else. But there's no evil that's taken place. No one coerced people. They willingly gave up that dollar in exchange for seeing Will Chamberlain play basketball. But yet now, the distribution of resources is different. So now, now what do we do? Now we say, all right, Will, you got to give all that money back. Okay, so what does he not get compensated? How does this work? So you notice that the pattern will always change. You can never keep it stable in terms of the pattern of wealth ownership. So this means that there will always be Inequality that will reassert itself, which means there will always be a need for state intervention to reestablish the distribution that makes the left happy. It can never be reached. So it means that you will get intervention over and over and over and over again. And that's the way they like it. That's why they like something like this, is that it means they'll never be out of a job because they're trying to attain something that is impossible. Now, there are many other dimensions of egalitarianism where there are things that they just keep pouring money into and pouring money into, and they don't get any better. And that's the egalitarian program. Well, let's see, we just kept pouring money into X, Y, or Z. It didn't get any better. So let's keep pouring money into X, Y, and Z. So everybody who's on the take with programs like these has a vested interest in keeping it going and saying that it's all in the name of equality, an unreachable ideal. Of course, the state loves unreachable ideals because it means they stay in business forever, and they get to couch all their interventions in the soothing rhetoric of equality. Now, I might mention, before getting to Jeff's article, I might mention that I used the word distribution of wealth, and I hate that word, because that is so misleading. There is no libertarian worth his salt who would use the word distribution when talking about wealth or income that people have. Because distribution implies that there was a big pile of it and some distributor stood on top of that pile and started handing it out to people. But that's not what happens at all. So it's wrong to say, as a lot of conservatives do, that I don't like government programs that redistribute wealth. Well, redistribute implies that it was distributed in the first place, but it wasn't distributed, it was earned. And that's not distribution. What's happening in society is not a pile of wealth and a person standing on it with a bullhorn, handing it out to everybody, what's happening in society is a series of voluntary exchanges that results in the patterns of wealth ownership that we observe. That's not distribution. That's, I provide this service, you give me some money. You provide that service, I give you some money. There's no distribution involved in any aspect of that. So distribution is not the right word. So we don't wanna say redistribution because that implies that the initial array of wealth holdings is the result of an initial distribution. It is not. Now, you may say, Woods, that is some nitpicking. Well, I don't think it is, but I don't want to argue about that. (laughs) Now, by the way, by the way, one of my favorite things that I say, I haven't done it so much recently, just mainly because I forgot. But I love saying things like, you know, people come up to me and say, Woods, I'm not sure I agree with so-and-so. Now, I'm gonna tell you, I got that from Walter Williams, the late, heroic Walter Williams, who in his newspaper column, I, I can't believe nobody noticed this. Didn't you read Walter Williams' newspaper columns? He used to say, people say to me, Williams, blah, 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 blah. And I am willing to bet nobody actually ever said that to him. Or my friend Marlon Sanders, the great salesman, I had him on my School of Life program the other day, and he's, he would say, people say to me, Marlon, and then, then he goes on and on. And I, I just don't think that happens because nobody's ever come up to me and said, Woods, <laughs> I just like saying it. All right, anyway, why did I say that? I actually, I actually can't remember why I brought that up. Oh, yeah, yeah, because I just said, yeah, Woods, that's kind of nitpicking. Nobody actually puts it that way. But in case you were thinking that was nitpicking, it's actually not. We've got to get these things clear. Got to be clear in our definitions of words. So here's Jeff Dice. We'll read little bits and pieces and then have things to say about it. So we have... During a panel discussion at a recent Mises Institute event, one presenter described her son's Ivy League university as elite, even as she lamented the perverse and harmful COVID mandates imposed by its administration. Those mandates, by the way, were overwhelmingly supported both by students at this particular college and their parents. Another panelist responded with, we need new elites to applause from the audience. This is painfully true. We desperately need new and better elites because the politically connected class in America spent the last 100 plus years ruining education, medicine, diplomacy, peace, money, banking, big business, literature, art, and entertainment just for starters. And yet they have the temerity to attack the inevitable populist reaction to their own dismal failures. The first step in this process is withdrawing our sanction of existing elites whenever and wherever we can. This can be as easy as turning off CNN or as difficult as not sending a child off to seek the fading prestige of an Ivy degree. But we have to turn our backs on them. We have to upend the incentives and institutions that make their undeserved elite status possible. All right, well, no disputing that. And he's right that this can take relatively easy forms, or it can involve real sacrifice, but it must be done at some point. Now, I want to mention, because it just occurred to me, that for people who are questioning the standard pattern whereby you finish your K-12 through 12 education, and then you go off to college. Now, it's true. I did that. I did go off to college, and then I went off to graduate school to get my PhD. I know it sounds like one of these things of do as I say, not as I do, but if things were different, if I were pursuing, let's say my career in 2022 as a young person, I might indeed have done it differently. I would worry about, um, I mean, Columbia University for my PhD was difficult enough to navigate. I was really the, pretty much the only dissident voice around. It was a really, really dismal kind of place to be. But now you have the prospect of who knows what public health so-called mandates could exist in the future the woke stuff is worse. And, and by the way, oh, I hate that word woke, as if you have to be uniquely awake to hold those views. You have to be asleep to hold all those views. You have to be awake to hold our views. You have to be awake enough to be able to look past the kind of droning repetition of the same opinions from every single outlet of opinion molding. That requires being woke. That requires being awake, not just passively accepting every single mainstream opinion that's given to you. But anyway, I just couldn't imagine enduring that right now. So maybe I would have done things differently. But the point is, I've mentioned, I've had the founder of Praxis on the show. That's Isaac Morehouse. And the current, I don't know if it's president or CEO, Cameron, I've had him on the show also. A lot of you have heard about it either from me or from other sources. They really, really did a great job getting the word out. And a bunch of my young listeners or parents then passed the word on to their children have actually gone into this program. And it's like an apprenticeship program whereby you train for a little while and then you get sent out to get a job with some startup company as an apprenticeship with a startup company, and then a guaranteed job at the end of your time there. So you're spending several years instead of racking up debt and being lectured to by people who hate your guts, you're spending time acquiring both experience and income. So instead of coming out negative, you're coming out way, way in the positive, both financially and in terms of experience. So that is something very, very much to consider. And I actually did a live thing where I brought Cameron from Praxis on and he just did a presentation. This is what our program's about. Here are some people who've gone through it. I used to feature some of those people on the podcast. So if that's something that has any appeal to you, you should watch that recording and see if it's something for you. I have that up at tomwoods.com praxis, P-R-A-X-I-S, tomwoods.com praxis. Let me take a minute in this conversation about natural elites to say that natural elites understand responsibility. So here's my segue, okay? If somebody relies on your financial support, whether it's a child, an aging parent, or even a business partner, you need life insurance. And life insurance is not getting any cheaper as you get older. So it's smart to get a policy sooner rather than later. And Policy Genius is your one-stop shop to find the insurance you need at the right price. All you have to do is head to policygenius.com and answer a few questions in minutes, you can compare personalized quotes from top companies to find your lowest price. You could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. Their team of licensed experts are on hand through the entire process to help you understand your options and make decisions with confidence. The Policy Genius team works for you, not the insurance companies. So whether you're just starting to shop or have questions about your active policy, they're your independent advocates offering unbiased advice. And what's more, Policy Genius doesn't add on extra fees. They don't sell your info to third parties. They have thousands of five-star reviews across Google and Trustpilot, and they have options that offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Since 2014, Policy Genius has helped over 30 million people shop for insurance. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. All right, let's get back to Jeff Deist, our friend. He says, undeserved in this context, when he talks about undeserved elite status, means state-connected. This feature, more than any other, marks today's unnatural elites, by which we mean elites who owe their status largely to government connections rather than merit. It can be hard to identify in some cases. Some elites, such as Jeff Bezos, performed brilliantly in the marketplace, yet also maintain deep ties to the worst of the American superstate. Amazon sells cloud services to a host of criminal federal agencies, and Bezos himself, solely owns the CIA organ, The Washington Post. Russian oligarchs, much in the news these days, are said to fall in this category of unnatural and undeserving elites. While the dictionary definition of oligarch is straightforward, a member of a controlling elite with nearly absolute political power, the current usage is broader. It has come to mean foreign billionaire who made money in unholy ways, and as such presumably applies to Vladimir Putin and his purported billions in assets amassed on a modest salary. But many Russians obtained power and wealth through close connections to the former Soviet Union, buying up state assets on the cheap during the cronyist early 1990s. Are they all to have their property seized now, like Roman Abramovich and his shares of the Chelsea Football Club in London? What law justifies this? What tribunal issues such an order? And what police agency enforces the seizure? These trifling questions about the rule of law go unasked and unanswered. We're at war with Putin. But aren't U.S. elites oligarchs too? When we consider the nexus of state and corporate power, we find plenty of American examples beyond the aforementioned Bezos. New York University professor Michael Rechtenwald coined the term governmentalities to describe publicly traded companies like Google and Amazon that are so intimately connected with the federal state as to become deputized to act as state agents. When we consider how far-reaching this nexus really is, how many American elites truly deserve their status? Huh, now that is very interesting. We think about somebody like Thomas Jefferson. He made a distinction between a natural... And a hereditary aristocracy. He was opposed to a hereditary aristocracy, but he wasn't opposed to the idea of elites. And he thought these elites would establish themselves naturally by virtue of their great accomplishments, their intelligence, their skill, their excellent decision making, their sense of justice, whatever it is. So th- you don't have to believe in a hereditary aristocracy, nevertheless, to believe that natural elites will indeed form in society. But these, indeed, our unnatural elites. Now let's get back to our friend, Jeff. Consider Elon Musk, who recently sold part of his Tesla stock and purchased a 9% interest in Twitter, gaining a board seat in the process. His wealth derives in part from his clearly meritorious efforts building and selling PayPal, his business acumen in investing the PayPal proceeds, and his visionary indefatigable efforts building both Tesla and the private SpaceX. Surely a man of his intelligence and entrepreneurial drive is a natural, worthy elite? Well, maybe. At least some of his Tesla stock wealth is due to government subsidies helping to create a market for his EVs, and SpaceX contracts directly with NASA. Perhaps Mr. Musk didn't ask for these subsidies and would be quite wealthy and successful without them. But they cloud the issue. Are the Obamas oligarchs? After all, their reported $70 million net worth derives entirely from treading on their time in the White House? How about George W. Bush and his $40 million, given how he inherited money and then sold his oil and gas concern to a company owned by George Soros? Consider Joe Biden, whose net worth soared from less than $30,000 in 2009 to nearly $10 million today. He literally has not had a proper job since 1970. Surely he is an oligarch, in the sense of unearned wealth and power. Now, let me pause and say that there's really no disputing any of this. And yet it's so infrequent to hear people on the progressive left even contemplate any of this. These are the ones who care about the little guy. And yet here's our own elite staring us right in the face. And they're so convinced that that elite has their well being at heart that they don't even ask these questions. Back to Jeff. What about Stacey Abrams, the one-time Georgia gubernatorial candidate who claimed a net worth of $109,000 in 2018, but now discloses a net worth of $3.17 million? What has she built or created? Is she an oligarch with unearned wealth and status due solely to politics? How about CNN's Anderson Cooper, born into the bosom of Vanderbilt wealth and elite schools, not to mention the obligatory intern stint at the CIA, and then given a prominent platform on a major cable station. Is he in any way deserving of his status? Russian oligarchs, American Poles, and state-connected billionaires are all cut from the same cloth. They didn't earn or fully earn their wealth and position in society. But we must expect this. Rule by elites, at least to an extent, is indeed inevitable. Every society across time and across place manifests this. Democracy doesn't solve or change it, but merely transfers status away from merit and toward politics. Democracy simply creates different, worse, elites in the form of a permanent managerial bureaucratic class that no more reflects the consent of the governed than Putin represents the will of all Russians. Political and economic liberty is about the freedom and prosperity average people enjoy in any society. It is the measure of whether elites are natural or unnatural Deserving or undeserving. In the poorest and most corrupt countries, elites fatten their own Swiss bank accounts while parasitically draining citizens of their meager resources. In the wealthiest and least corrupt countries, elites act far more benevolently, e.g., Prince Hans Adam II in Liechtenstein. Most countries across the West today lie somewhere in the middle. But the COVID crisis showed us that once again the situation is getting worse. What we need is not to eliminate elites, but to create better ones. And at this very moment in the article, I thought, ah, well, maybe you should quote Hans Hoppe because he's written on this. And then the very next sentence, in his essay, Natural Elites, Intellectuals, and the State, Hans Hermann Hoppe describes how modern states usurp the role of worthy individuals in society who possess natural authority. And so here's Hans. Such a theory has been presented by Bertrand de Juvenel. According to his view, states are the outgrowth of natural elites. The natural outcome of voluntary transactions between private property owners is non-egalitarian, hierarchical, and elitist. In every society, a few individuals acquire the status of an elite through talent. Due to superior achievements of wealth, wisdom, and bravery, these individuals come to possess natural authority, and their opinions and judgments enjoy widespread respect. Moreover, because of selective mating, marriage, and the laws of civil and genetic inheritance, positions of natural authority are likely to be passed on within a few noble families. It is to the heads of these families, with long-established records of superior achievement, far-sightedness, and exemplary personal conduct, that men turn with their conflicts and complaints against each other. These leaders of the natural elite act as judges and peacemakers, often free of charge out of a sense of duty expected of a person of authority or out of concern for civil justice as a privately produced, quote-unquote, public good. The small but decisive step in the transition to a state consists precisely of the monopolization of the function of judge and peacemaker. This occurred once a single member of the voluntarily acknowledged natural elite was able to insist despite the opposition of other members of the elite, that all conflicts within a specified territory be brought before him. Conflicting parties could no longer choose any other judge or peacemaker. That's the end of the passage from Hans Hoppe. And now back to Jeff. How do we identify good elites, wise leaders who will act and guide the world in benevolent ways? Leaders who care about civilization, property, prosperity, peace, justice, fairness, conservation, and charity. We start by turning our backs on politics, media, academia, and popular culture, and looking to the real-world examples around us. In our family, work, social circles, and local communities are the men and women who can replace our very unnatural overlords. Men and women who understand inequality and human differences as the inescapable starting point of human society, which in Ludwig von Mises' view allows for, quote, Collaboration of the more talented, more able, and more industrious with the less talented, less able, and less industrious, which results in benefits for both. This, then, is the egalitarian rub. Progressives of all political stripes oppose the idea of natural elites not because of their claimed egalitarianism or dislike of hierarchies, they oppose the idea because it contemplates a hierarchy not established by them. A natural elite also means that intelligence, ability, attractiveness, charisma, wisdom, discretion, and quiet confidence, all very unequally distributed in nature, become the characteristics of those holding greater influence in society. And then finally, government is mostly beyond hope or redemption, and we don't need elites for governance. Markets perform that function far better and far more democratically. Our focus should be on the intermediary institutions of civil society, saving those that can be saved and building new ones where the damage is too great. We begin this process with real elites, the actual adults in the room. We desperately need to desanctify the current crop and replace them with much better and nobler people. I don't see anything to argue with here. In fact, I'm reminded of a passage. Now, I don't recall off the top of my head exactly where it is now. I'll get a lot of people telling me, I'm sure, but there is a passage somewhere where Hans Hoppe says that the correct approach, the correct posture one should have toward people who are part of the state apparatus, so including politicians, is one of unremitting ridicule. We need to ridicule them. Of course, they want to be taken seriously and they want all their pomposity and their official titles. And we should be laughing at them because that, of course, makes them the craziest. And also the laughter desanctifies and demystifies them. You, know, you refuse to treat them with the Respect they are allegedly entitled to, well, that, that changes things are, are around. We, but we also, as is implied in Jeff Dice's article, have to move away from and see through the transparently manipulative rhetoric they use about equality and, and this and that, and see through to what is really happening. So when Hans was interviewed, I guess it was six years ago in some European publication, He was asked, is there anything that an ordinary citizen can do in this situation? And he answered, for one, instead of swallowing the high-sounding blather of politicians about freedom, prosperity, social justice, etc., people must learn to recognize the EU for what it really is, a gang of power-lusty crooks empowering and enriching themselves at other productive people's expense. And secondly, people must develop a clear vision of the alternative to the present morass, not a European superstate or even a federation of nation states, but the vision of a Europe made up of thousands of Liechtensteins and Swiss cantons united through free trade and in competition with one another in the attempt of offering the most attractive conditions for productive people to stay or move. So that's another dimension of this that needs to be considered about the emergence of natural elites is probably much, much more likely to take place in smaller political settings. Natural elites who are tolerable are much, much more likely to emerge in smaller political settings than in the monstrosity we have now, where we're trying to have all these people with all these different worldviews somehow not use the state apparatus to oppress each other. What kind of elites are going to emerge from that kind of situation? Uh, And as a matter of fact, Hayek once said that liberty in the future is much more likely to be preserved in smaller states. So that's also something to think about. But I'm gonna link you to Jeff's piece and maybe I'll also link, let's see, 2103, link to Jeff and then I'll link to Rothbard, egalitarianism and the Elites piece. And then I'll link you also to the Hans Hoppe piece that uh, Jeff quoted from. So it'll be a nice little primer on where we stand on natural elites and artificial elites and where to go from here. So with that, if you folks like and appreciate the old Tom Woods show, she doesn't produce herself here. We uh, always appreciate the support to help keep this thing going. And in return, because I've been creating stuff for so long, I have so many goodies to give away you're gonna really, really appreciate and like what you have coming to you as a supporter of the Tom Woods Show. So do me a favor as your homework assignment over the weekend, check out supportinglisteners.com and be part of my community, which would warm my heart and help make it possible for me to keep on doing this. Thanks so much, everybody. See you next week. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit tomwoods.com to subscribe to the show for free and we'll see you next time.